Hey, what's up, everybody? It's Kyle Tolzman, and you're listening to the Against All Average Podcast, the show where entrepreneurs and everyday people come to learn the skills and mindset to lead exceptional lives. What's up, everybody? Man, it's nice out. It's sun shining in Hillsboro, folks. It is the best place to be right now. I wish I could say there's not a cloud in the sky, but this is uh, this is a little February in Hillsboro, Oregon. You always get a little bit of clouds, but that's okay. It's all right. There's a little bit of sh- sun shining, a little bit of cloud, a little drizzle here and there, but we're all right. And you know what I'm really excited about is our guest today. He actually resides in this county, and he's probably excited as well that they went from extreme risk to high risk. They get the restaurants open a little bit. They get people wandering around a little bit. Man, it's awesome. And for someone who runs a lacrosse company and they've shut it down since November, I'm coming back, baby. Sunday, Sunday, Sunday. We get to play some lacrosse again. I can't wait to see the smiles on the kids' faces. But of course, we go through all sorts of safety protocols to make it as safe as possible and keep the spread of COVID down. So, that's something that uh, I'm excited about. In other news, I got my first shot. I got the old Pfizer vaccine the other day, barely fe- barely felt the needle, got the dose in there, didn't really have any side effects. My armpit hurt, like my right armpit hurt, which was kind of weird. People say their arms hurt. My armpit hurt. No, no idea why, but that's just kind of how it rolled. Um, so on my way to getting the, the second one and, you know, crossing our fingers that this, the vaccines actually help the spread and keep cases down. I, 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 I'm hopeful. I, I hope these numbers keep going down and we can uh, keep folks out of the hospital and get back to as normal of life as we possibly can. And just another news, my kids are still crazy. They're still driving me nuts. They're still jumping around the freaking house, not calming down, running, pushing, biting. Oh, my goodness. These are interesting times, but I love it. Got to love it. Got to love it. All right. Woo. Let's get a sponsor plug in here. When you need all things digital, looking their best, call our friends at Fair and Event. Our friends will give you the against all average treatment with an awesome new website, ticketing, custom graphics, and a full line of printing services. Fair and Event, the trusted partner of the Against All Average podcast. All right. Episode, I think we're on 62. I don't know if I changed that in my notes. I should stop copying and pasting. Come on, Kyle. Can't just copy and paste everything, but I'm pretty sure we're on episode 62. We're in season three, and you know what that means. I only put out one episode a week, and I only talk to an amazing person that I would love to spend an hour with. And today, it is a long time friend. Dustin Volstead is a born and raised Oregonian and a local yokel third generation Eugenian, I think. Is that even right? Who knows? That's right. The home of the mighty Oregon Ducks. He's a top 2% producing realtor in the Eugene area and a real estate investor currently focusing on high-end infill, new construction, and rehabs. I have several business partners. When I say I, I mean Dustin. Not me, not Kyle. Dustin has several business partners where we are exploring the new endeavors in app development and out-of-state buy-and-hold real estate. 
Previous to owning the real estate game, Dustin spent seven seasons as a wild lamb firefighter. This dude is an absolute stud. Welcome to the show, Dustin Volstead. What's up? Hey, Kyle. Thanks for having me on, man. I appreciate it. I'm excited. I know. We could talk real estate. We could talk lacrosse. We could talk all things Eugene. We, we'll just go all over the place and uh, just enjoy each other's company for the next hour. How about that? That sounds good. <laughs> can you take the listeners back to the early days of Dustin, as far back as you can remember? How'd you grow up? What was early life like? What was school like? And we'll start to, to get the building blocks rolling into the man you've been become today. Yeah, so uh, lifelong Oregonian. I was born in Redmond, Oregon. Uh, I spent earlier years in Bend. My dad used to be the ski patrol director at Mount Bachelor. And then uh, most of my family is based out of Eugene. So moved back here pretty young to the area, had uh, multiple generations of family members here, um, especially on, I guess, both ends, uh, quite a few business owners, local business owners. So that's always been a great environment to grow up around. And I focused in college and entrepreneurship, and I think that was a a pretty big drive for it. My grandparents on both ends owned businesses and it was something I was in, I was always intrigued by. So, um, yeah, I went to Sheldon high school, loved growing up in Eugene and then kind of hit that point of, I think any student at that point wants to get out of state and try something new. But for me, it was more important to go study abroad. So I wanted to save that money and figure we had a really good university here in Oregon. And, uh, so right out of high school, I got hired on as a wildland firefighter with Mackenzie River Fire, which is an hour east of here, same area that unfortunately just had the massive fires come through. Um, so I started there and then went to college and kind of bounced back and forth between uh, college and firefighting and traveling. And so... Yeah, it sounds like a lot of your upbringing kind of got you kind of into the entrepreneurial spirit. Like right now, in my opinion, and I don't even know if it's just my opinion, it's probably a lot of people's opinion, being a real estate agent, even if you work for a, a, another company, you're still kind of on your own to build your own personal brand, to you know get your book of business built as, as big as you possibly can get it. Um, what were some of the entrepreneurial skills that you kind of saw in your family members? What are some of those 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 uh, attributes that you looked up to as a kid? Was it was it kindness? Was it heart? Was it hustle? Was it what are some of those things that you learned from your family members that really got you into uh, the mindset of being a high achiever? Yeah, looking at my family, I think a couple of things. One is just being involved in their community. Uh, my, my grandparents had a huge nursery here in town and part of it for them was uh, they, I mean, at the core level of it, they worked a lot. I mean, that was a big part of it. They had a discipline and I think they kind of had that switch that allowed them to think, Hey, if I have the discipline, if I put in the time, I can have success with my business. And so I've noticed that with several of my family members who have had businesses here, they're just kind of structured that way. Um, and that's really set, set them up for success. And it's the exact same. And you are correct in my business too. You know, you get into real estate and sometimes I have clients who are like, Oh, who do you work for? Or, you know, 
who, where's your company? And they're not really sure what is the difference between the two. And it's a lot like a lot of sales environments. It's like insurance. It's like salon. You're operating your own business. You're hanging your license somewhere, uh, you know, within a reputable, um, you know, real estate company or entity. That way, when you get into it, you have a reliable source to go to. You're not just necessarily full on shooting from the hip. So, yeah. So my my mom, I think it was probably oh maybe when I was in seventh grade or sixth grade, she she switched from banking into being an insurance agent, and she mm-hmm. bought she bought her dad's book of business, and off she went. And it's very similar. She had to her and her sister had to build this personal brand aside from the company brand as knowledgeable, as caring, as, as looking out for each and every person's medical needs, life insurance needs, et cetera. And so it's so, it's always interesting to hear that like, yeah, you have the brand to fall back on, but really what creates those high achieving real estate agents, insurance agents, salon owners, barbers, in my opinion, is that personal brand, the consistency, the doing what you said you were going to do. It sounds like you've had quite a bit of success in the real estate game. What were some of the aha moments for you where, hey, man, I'm I'm selling one house a month. I I don't think I can do this anymore to being a top 2% producer. What what do you do each and every day that, that makes you lucky? Like, what are those things that makes it so that People want to talk to you. People want to come to you. They want you to sell their house, buy house. Like it just doesn't matter. They want to work with you. What are those things that you do each and every day that are important to you and your business? Yeah, great question. I think kind of just backtracking at the core of that for me, a couple things is one expectations. You know, I get into it when I was doing firefighting, I've always been a pretty a uh, frugal guy in the sense that I do what I want to do, but money's never been a huge driver for me. You know, I don't need like a big fancy car or anything. So I kind of set that expectation in the beginning is that, Hey, when I start out, I don't need to make a lot of money. And so I think sometimes when people have that mindset, it allows more freedom to open up in what you can do and what you can drive back into your business as well. So when I first started my first year, Uh, in real estate, you know, getting into real estate, it wasn't unintentional. I was finishing my last two seasons in firefighting. And I knew that after conversation with my brother, that there's going to be a good opportunity for us to start a business together that by coming back to Eugene, because for me, you know, I'm thinking, Oh, I'll I'll go to Portland, I'll go somewhere else. And, you know, but when I looked at Eugene, I think it afforded a lifestyle. My family's here, but more so I knew I have some connections here. So when I was starting my business here, you know, I had that mindset right away. Okay. If I go back, it might make it easier for me to pick off, build my steer faster and, and have that success. Now, with that said, my first year, you know, I think in commissions, I did around 35, you know, in terms of what I brought in around 35,000, it was not much. And part of that was my own mistake. You know, I, I look back on it. It's, you know, part of it's just starting your business, but the other part was, I was getting in there and just being naive and thinking, oh, I've got to build the systems. You got to build the systems. But you listen to 
because I love podcasts and I love podcasts that get down to the details and the specifics. And so, you know, what I should have been doing, you look at any sales things is you need clients. You need to do whatever you have to do to get in front of people. So I should have been grinding it out like as many open houses I could possibly do as many, you know, uh, calls, lunches, anything I could possibly think of to be driving and getting in front of people. So once I realized that and got better about it and just really continued to grind it out, that's when, you know, realized that, okay, can do, can do good at this. Um, but I also, the other part I realized too, I just have to work a lot. So I do. <laughs> yeah. You just realize like there is, you know, there's, I, I kind of hate and I kind of get away from the term like grinding and grinding it out and you got to work the 14 hours, but like you got to be doing something. You've got to yeah. be doing something to get in front of your future clients. And if that means yep. hanging out at the chamber of commerce meetings, if that means going to dinners, if that means, yeah, heaven forbid, you got to golf every day. Well, you got to golf every day. You know, there, yeah. there's certain things that you've got to do to get your face um, in front of people. One thing that I really loved about what you said is like, Hey, I didn't really make much money, but it didn't really matter because I didn't want the fancy house. I didn't want the fancy car. I just wanted to start building a strong business from the start and start to create mm -hmm. systems and create something that you can repeat year mm -hmm. over year over year. You can look back at your notes and say, well, in 2019, I did this, this, and this. You know, these were my my big hitters. These were the things that I had to do each and every day. And that equaled, let's say, 100K in commissions or whatever you're making. I think too many times folks with startups don't think that far ahead. They don't think yep. about their systems. They don't think about like writing down what they did and say, hey, that was really successful. Like I went to this benefit event and I sold four houses you know, that next month, because I met four people that I was solving a problem for. They needed to sell their house. I'm here for you. And I sold their house. And so it's, it's important because the person who put that money into a new Mercedes wasn't able to go to the benefit dinner because they didn't have any money left or they mm -hmm. couldn't go to the golf outing or, or whatever it may be. So I think it is very important in the beginning stages to just keep putting money back in to the systems that you created that created money. And so that's, yep. I, I, I freaking love that, that point. It's just like more is left, more is less on the living side, but more is more on the business side. Keep mm -hmm. putting fuel into the fire, keep putting money into, into growth strategies for yourself uh, to, to keep filling that pipeline. So what are some of those events you've gone to over the years? that are just like, need to go there next time. Yeah. Great question. I think, you know, had a, a principal broker early on because my business partner, I talk about this mentioned, it's just like, it's not necessarily a specific event. It's just doing more things related to that activity. So, you know, really could be anything in this industry. Sometimes people are like, oh, I'm going to call expireds for two hours a day. And that's great. You're going to have success with that. Like I would hate that personally, but, and that's not necessarily given where I am and the community I'm involved with here, that wouldn't be my best avenue to go through. So I'm looking at things personally, when I look at my business and analyze it, 
last year, about 70, 70% of my business came from what's referred to as sphere. So people that I know, like, and trust know, like, and trust me. So where I've had the most fun is, uh, my wife and I like, we'll put together events for friends and family, you know, like, Hey, let's go do a weekend in Sun River. Everybody pitches in. It's a real fun thing, but those people also know me as a professional realtor. So, you know, when we're at those events together, we're having a lot of fun. Real estate always comes up because we like talking about real estate. It's just kind of a universal truth. And so, you know, I like doing those a lot. Um, uh, the other thing is like, we'll do a, we've got a kickball group that we do. You know, I've gotten a lot of clients who are friends from that. And there's obviously other things where I, where I got to get creative, like on the investing side, you know, we're looking at properties off market. There is stuff that we do have to look at from a business perspective, but I think the more things that you enjoy doing, you're going to want to do more. And if you have success in that, then that's great. So I try to, I try to just pivot towards that as much as, as possible. Um, so I just want to go over kind of some specifics. So if I look at it on the sphere side of it, yeah, I've done client events, I've done lunches, um, I've done open houses, uh, basically just done as many activities I can with friend, families and friends and, you know, letting them know, I guess the other thing is always kind of putting a plug in there that I'm in real estate or, you know, joking on the side, but also being serious. Like, Hey, if they ever know someone who needs help, then I'd love to help them. Cause truthfully I would like, I really, really do enjoy it. So it's, it's free marketing at that point when you're doing things like that. So a lot of sphere stuff. Um, the other part of my business, sometimes I get signed calls. Uh, I'll do like some paid ad leads as well. And, and those have worked to help kind of balance, balance things out. And how do you, I know different real estate agents use social media in different ways. How are you using social media? Are you hitting Instagram stories? Are you like, where's your target market hanging out? And do you feel like you're utilizing social media to the fullest extent, or are you still working that into your overall marketing plan? Yeah, great question. So one, uh, I think there's two ways that kind of look at social media, how to apply it, right? You've got the paid lead generation where I can be sending things out there. And then you have more of the passive, just showing improving awareness. So making sure people know providing most importantly, providing value that people are going to like to see, you know, I, I just think about it. What is something I would like to see? Chances are someone else is going to like to see that too. So um, and I say all this, but I'm really, I'm terrible at social media. I'm like, I'm like an old man. And the only reason I'm doing social media is because I know that's where other people are. And I know I like to see it, you know, when I check in on people. So, but in terms of being consistent, I'm pretty bad at it. That's why I have some systems in place that are putting stuff out there more regularly. Um, so yeah, with the two, you know, for an example, right now, my wife and I just bought a house over in East Eugene by campus and we're remodeling it to move into for our, ourselves. And so uh, doing more video on that, you know, it's funny. Uh, I've always been like totally against TikTok, but I've now realized my wife, you know, just drove it into me like, hey, this is the easiest video editing software out there. And once she showed it to me, I'm like, oh, this is great, you know, for like doing, <laughs> doing flips and, you know, anything like that. Like, yeah, I can edit a video and make it look super legit in a minute. So um, 
trying to get more consistent with tools like that. So now we're doing our remodel and I'm trying to share tips and tricks that we do throughout that process to just really show people that it's doable, but also how to save money in, in doing things. So with, you know, to recap on what you're saying, I could be doing a better job on social media, but it's more so just posting, checking in on people consistently and at the core level of it, providing value. I don't do uh, Facebook lead generation. And if I get leads from Facebook, I honestly don't really check in on them. So um, yeah. And, and I think that there's a reality to that, that it's just, you look at the statistics of how many leads you have to have come in in order to get one to come through. I'd rather have a family friend say, Hey, I got Bob here wants to buy a house. I'm going to put more energy into that than I would necessarily, but it does work out to where if I'm just sharing value on Facebook or any other social media outlet, I've had a client to say, man, I saw you post on there all the time. I want you to help me sell my house. You know what right. you're doing. You're obviously a top producer. And so that has been a big benefit within my own community. Just posting items of value has been, uh, has been really helpful. Yeah. I, I love what you're saying here. And not that I'm saying that I love that you're not using social media to its fullest potential. I'm not, I'm not saying that I'm saying what's awesome is the way in which you approach marketing and you weave it into your life and you mm-hmm. created a lifestyle where you're like, well, I could go spend a lot of money on Facebook ads, or I could go to a resort with eight people. And because I did that, I know I'm going to at least get one lead out of that for the next month. That'll keep me rolling. And then, you know, the spider web turns into another spider web, another spider web, another one where people who know, like, and trust you on a 10 out of 10 level, then pass your name off to the next person and you're not Dustin anymore. You're a warm lead. You're Dustin Volset, the top producer, and he's going to take care of you. And so mm-hmm. what's interesting with that is I weave it back into my lacrosse company. I do the same business with people that I've known since I was 14 years old. I do the same business with uh, folks that I met in college folks that I met, uh, you know, coaching at a high school in Eugene, like everything comes around. But if you're always top of mind as a real estate agent, as a lacrosse coach, as you know, for me, uh, I'm tied to my brand. People are like, oh, oh the awestruck guy. Okay. Like, or, or now the, the against all average guy, like everybody starts to figure that out and you start to build the like, know and trust factor. Mm-hmm. Just like you're saying, then it spreads to the next five, five warm leads in real estate is huge. Yep. Five yep. warm leads for another guest on a podcast for me is huge. I don't have to sell anything. I don't have yeah. to. I just have to say, Hey, what's your problem? Like, what, yeah. what can I solve for you? I don't have to convince them that I'm a good person, that I do what I say, that I follow up, that I, I actually know what I'm talking about. And so real estate, my, like your business and my business is, you know, very similar as far as that social media. I'm so inconsistent. Mm-hmm. So like, I'll be on fire one day. And then it's just like, eh, I look back, like I haven't been on there in five days. Like I need to, to up that game. I know in real estate, as far as your real estate investing side, where you're looking at finding homes that, you know, can be improved, 
improve communities. It's dependent on what you're doing with it, of course, but talk a little about the importance of the follow-up. Everybody's like, oh, I got this lead or I talked to this person. Talk a little bit about your experience being successful with consistent follow-up. Yeah. Um, so follow-up is, is huge. It's super important. At least I guess that's what I tell myself. Like sometimes, you know, maybe you don't have to follow up. I just don't want to make that assumption. You know, I just know that by following up consistently, I have a higher level of success with that. So that is just a proven concept for me. And especially in this, in this, uh, industry, in my industry, yes, I'm very passionate about what I do, but not every client knows that. So it's almost like I, I am a convenience in the industry, right? If I can't get somebody into a property, they're not going to wait a month. They're going to go find somebody else. Yeah. They may be my friend. And, and I'm certainly respectful of that too. And so I want to make sure I'm doing my job and being consistent and following up with people because I would hope somebody would be doing the same thing for me. And so with follow-up though, I think the big thing is, is systems are very, very important to have, you know, like a CRM system, um, you know, that's basically for client retention and, and making sure you have, and I keep it. The other thing for me is I keep it really simple too. Like, you know, I'm only focusing in on so many leads that I got to continuously look for because I can go deep with those clients. If I've got like a thousand different leads, I can't service those people. I've got systems that can help kind of put them into a campaign of, okay, yeah, you're a year out. Like here, let me make sure that you're staying invested. I'll be doing videos I'm sending out of the current market and updates. But really when it comes down to it, there's only several hundred people that you have the capacity to be able to maintain. And that's past clients included. That's my sphere. So for me, I started right when I started, I started doing professional coaching because I knew I needed to do those systems and to have success with that. I needed systems and I did not want to reinvent the wheel. So, you know, I started with those programs early on that allowed me to be able to follow up and not be able to, you know, not have to pull my hair out and be stressing all the time of like, where are my leads? Where are my clients? What am I doing? That is where, you know, after you get to a certain point, yeah, you can be out there grinding, but you will have to have systems in place. And, and so for me, it's just what I do um, because I always like talking about specifics. So part of my coaching program, what I do is I have a theme day for each day of the week, business day of the week. So on like Mondays, it's like my, you know, VIP clients, clients that are referring me all the time, clients I want to build relationships with. Tuesdays is when I'm doing uh, client check-ins for existing clients. And I let my clients know that too, so they can set an expectation as well. You know, the, the biggest thing I'd say in this industry is not the, maybe not the biggest, but one of is managing expectations is really, really important. So if I tell my clients, Hey, on Tuesday, I'm going to be checking in. It also lets me check myself and say, Hey, on Tuesday, you got to be checking on our current clients, what's going on in the transaction, making sure nothing is slipping through and that you're all dialed in Wednesdays. I'm checking in on current old leads, um, you know, buyers that I'm helping to look for sellers that are up and coming. And Thursdays I'm checking in on past clients. I'm checking on family, friends, uh, Fridays is new business. So for me, Fridays is pretty well dedicated to the business with my brother on the investing side, or if I got to catch up with my business partner and any other endeavors that we've got going on. And that has been really huge for me because now 
on a Thursday, I don't have to stress out about checking in on a client. If I can, if I can deal with whatever fires there and then, you know, put the task to Tuesday, it's much, much easier and simpler to deal with and handle. Dustin, I liked what you said about managing client expectations. And I want to go deep. I want to go extremely deep in that one topic about managing expectations because I I see it in my head what this would mean in real estate. But I think we all have to do this, whether you're designing websites, whether you run a taco truck or a, yep. or, or you're in real estate. So what are some strategies I can use to make sure that my expectations of what I can produce are going to be in the forefront of their mind. And they as well can kind of say, and like, how, how do you manage that? Because I think the great businesses manage expectations. The ones who flounder are the ones who they do a great job on front end marketing, but their back end marketing of actually creating and matching and meeting the need and the expectation, they flounder there. So what are some strategies you use specifically to make sure that you're managing that expectation, what you do, how much you communicate, how, how do your clients know what it's going to be like to work with Dustin? Yeah. Um, I like that you said going deep there. Cause I feel like this one is really, really important. And it's not just for the health of your client. It's for the health of me as well, because if my client's stressed out, then I'm stressed out. And if I can set that expectation up front, they're going to be less stressed out, hopefully. And that will equally make me less stressed out. So in, in really setting that up, I think the most important time to do that, that I've had experience with is in the beginning when you're having that initial introduction and again, in setting up a system in my system, it's like you have your initial introduction and onboarding essentially with your client or whoever it is that you know you're having this relationship with. And you just set that expectation, whatever it is, you know. So hey, you know, I'm gonna be checking in with you every Tuesday. That is my goal. Even if it's a no update update, I'm still gonna be calling you. I want to make sure that our communication is going good. So if you have any questions. I can answer those for you. And that really just makes it easier for me as well in the whole process and how I prioritize things. But it could be a series of factors too when you set those expectations. And what I'm, I'm drawing a blank on it, but it's a really, really important one. It's like you come in basically, you know, you set your uh, uh, expectations low so that the result is better at the end, right? Versus it's so natural for people, myself included, to want to please others. And so automatically you want to come out and say like, yeah, I'm going to do a killer job and I'm going to crush this out. Well, that's your intention, but it's something that is an outside factor that you don't have control of, you know, makes an issue of that. Then all of a sudden you're in a bad place. And it really, what it comes down to for me is that they're not setting that expectation of me. I'm setting that expectation. And now they feel like, okay, great. He set that expectation. He should uphold to that expectation. Um, trying to see how many times I can say expectations, but, uh, here, here let me add a few expectation, expectation, yeah. expectation, <laughs> a few more. No, I, I love this. It's, it's, it's something that's so important yet. Not enough people talk about is managing yep. those expectations. And I'm the same way. Like, yes, I want to put it out there that this camp, this clinic, this tournament is going to run like this, look like this, et cetera. But what people don't realize is the success is the back end marketing. 
You can have the best front end marketing in the world and last for a year and last for Mm -hmm. two years. But if you actually want to build a successful organization, you really have to focus on managing expectations, delivering, creating systems so that you're not a freaking smoke and mirrors real estate agent where you're just wheeling and dealing and I'll take anybody you're really understanding and working with clients you want to work with and making sure that you wow them on that back end. So I could not agree more with that. Yeah. And, and off of your point too, Kyle, it's like, if you build the system and you build your company, right, it can actually have a, an adverse, very positive effect. So I'll give you an example. My brother Garrett created a company grassroots landscaping. He's had that for man, over eight years now, I think he has over 15 employees. And from day one, I remember it was when we were in college, it just college was not for him. So dropped out, started his own company. And, you know, he had to like, he had to grind it out, do the craft work and all, you know, just everything from the bottom. But from day one, he said, we're going to be doing high-end installations and design. And that's exactly what they do now. And so when they get, and he set up a really good system and he's got, you know, he's got a great website before anybody in that industry was doing the website. You know, he's got amazing references. He's now promoting on social media where others aren't. So he's always kind of been a step up in that industry, but he's always been very intentional and good hearted about creating a really good product. And so now in setting expectations, when people call him, he's like, sorry, sometimes we're three to six months out, depending on the type of work. People are, yeah, taken aback and surprised because we live in a want this now society, but they also understand he's that busy because he's the best and these people want the best and he wants the clients that want the best because that's the best type of clientele. So it's had, you know, and that, that takes time not to be unrealistic about it. That does take time to build that. But by managing those expectations, you can have a very, very positive effect for not only your client and the experience, but your own personal self as well. Yeah. And one of my, one of my friends owns Murison Home Innovations, and it's the same exact type of thing. He's booked out. He's booked out three to six months. Obviously, he, he's not as big of a systems person, but it's one at a time. He's going to talk to people and he's like, I'm not taking the job and I'm not doing the job unless I believe that we can do it at a 10 out of 10 level. Like we can blow the doors off and he's not going to take jobs or it's going to stress him out. Like, and he's realized the different ways in which like he wants to work. And so I think that's important as well. When you start a business is to understand what does your day look like? That's my Mm -hmm. big, like, that's my number one. Now, when I think of new business ideas and new business ventures, I don't want to be there all the time. Like, I don't want to be stuck at a physical location. So like, I'm not that interested in running my own food truck. I'm not interested whatsoever because I can't multiply it. I can't leverage it. I can't uh, leverage my understanding of systems to make the business grow bigger. Yeah, And I think that's, that's something that people don't understand when they go into entrepreneurship is they really aren't an entrepreneur. They just start their own business and work in that business. They just hire themselves mm-hmm. and they work. And that's that's that does not kind of help in the long run. Whereas real estate agent, for example, you can be dealing with 10 people at the same time using strategies, using systems and doing that type of thing. So that's, yep. that's something that I'm always like, that's always the front of my mind. Something I want to go into real quick, Dustin, is 
Tell me about your craziest client deal. Obviously, don't use names. But yeah. Like, like what? Like there's so much stuff that happens like when a house closes and all that. But like, tell me about like one experience. You're just like, I'm never going to forget this. Like this is, it's like one thing happens and then the pipes break and then the electricity gets shut off and then somebody moves into the house. Like what's the craziest experience you've had in the real estate industry? Yeah, there's definitely, it's funny because I think, you know, your, your body wants to forget pain over time, over pleasure. (laughs) And I've definitely had, I'm like, Oh, it hasn't been that bad, but there's definitely, been times where I'm like, I just feel gut wrenched at the end of the transaction, you know, just totally <laughs> annihilated. And so there's been ones where you're the, you know, the ones that are just real painful are the ones where you're like, man, this deal should be a no brainer. And the client is making a lot of money or it's working exactly towards their goals. And somehow they're just getting in the way of the transaction. And you're like, you just, you don't have to do anything in this situation but it's just like a self-sabotage. You know, those ones are frustrating. The craziest one though happened within, I think my first two years of real estate. And, uh, um, you know, you just hear stories of this happening, but never actually know someone it happened to. So I had a listing. The seller was a good friend of a family member of mine. And, uh, I had staged the property. The property was vacant you know, shown stated vacant online. And just to explain that to anyone listening, you know, basically when a property is listed vacant for the showing remarks, a realtor can go show that at any time, right? You don't need to work around somebody living in the house, et cetera. But you should also have the understanding when a property is vacant, the seller could show up anytime they wanted to, it's their house. And so what happened was, is that I had staged the property, had been on the market, my client shows up to go check on something and she opens the door and she sees two sets of shoes, a male and a female. So she assumes that it's myself and my wife and I'm just there just checking on the, the furniture, checking on the house, etc. <laughs> so she goes walking in upstairs. She goes up around the uh, corner into one of the bedrooms and there was a... Uh, a guy half naked on the bed <laughs> and a lady trying to take her pants off. And, uh, I think you can imagine what would commence next after that. <laughs> right. And so my, my client walks around and just says, what are you doing? And they're like, Oh, I'm just trying to show him the house. And she's like, just don't say anything and, and get out, like leave. I'm in <laughs> wow. a meeting at that point. I start getting blown up with text messages, phone calls, and uh, keeps vibrating and I keep silencing it. I'm like, what is going on? And then finally I open it up and I see this text and it's like, call me, this happened, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, blowing up on me. And then I get a call. <laughs> I get a call. I checked my first voicemail and it's this realtor. She's like, hey, Dustin, I showed your house with my boyfriend and had a weird interaction with your realtor. Let's just forget about it. Sorry about that. <laughs> and uh, I'm like, what? And then even before I could just put my phone down, I looked to my right. And in a matter of a half hour from that happening to the present time, my family member comes walking into the building where I was having my meeting because they had called around and they said, where's Dustin? You know, we need to talk to him. This happened. And, uh, and then it all blows up and the plot just continued to thicken this, you know, boyfriend, they were trying to hook up the realtor was trying to hook up with her boyfriend in a vacant house in broad daylight. And, <laughs> 
And then my client later goes and Facebook stalks the realtor. And she's like, Dustin, yeah, that's not her boyfriend or at least her because this person in the Facebook photo with two kids and the guy, oh. that's apparently, it's apparently her husband. Oh, and so what? she was in there. She was trying to have or maybe Ooh. had been having an affair and uh, was trying to trying to get it on inside this random house. <laughs> and uh, and then she was actually a buyer. It just, it kept getting more and more awkward. She was a buyer's agent for this other agent I knew really well. And I do respect great agent. And I talked to him about it. I said, Hey, just to let you know, that was not the husband in the room. According to my client, he's Whoa. like, this is super awkward because that girl and her husband are like some of our best friends. And we work out together all the time. And I just oh, hired man. her on as a buyer's agent Whoa. and <laughs> she got fired. Lost her license from the company. Wow. So that happened. Yeah. Dude, that, that's a freaking amazing story. <laughs> yeah. I feel like, I feel like that's some dateline sleaziness, like yeah, real estate is. agent stuff. So yeah, like I just know when you, when you have the real estate industry is just so dynamic with, you know, having to wait for somebody to come out of the house for you to show the house to the next yep. client. And you have all sorts of different things uh, going on. One thing that yeah, I always, it's not, you know, I guess off of that real quick, that's not super common for the industry, right? You hear about that in, right. In, in Hollywood and stuff. But I had my principal brokers company owners and like in 15 years, I've never had anything like this happen. I'm like, well, I'm glad it happened to me in year two. So that's good to know. <laughs> I, I think what's, what's cool though, is like what I went through in year one and two and three of my business set my, set my business up for success though. There was those, room mm. bump, there was those bumps yep. in the road where, Oh, I better not do that that specific way. Oh, okay. Like I shouldn't email, I shouldn't put everybody's email on this email because not everybody wants their email out. Like all these little things that people don't think of, like it just takes time. It takes experience mm. to, to really grow that. And, and similar to you, you know, my first year in business, I lost money. My second year in business, maybe I made $5,000, something like that. And so it's like all these all of this, you either figure it out yourself. If you have a small amount of money to get started, like I started my business with $3,000 mm -hmm. or you can kind of hire coaches and talk to people that have, uh, have done it. What are some, um, some of the mentors, like what have they meant to you over the past, however many years you've been in real estate, what has your mentors meant to you? And what are some of the lessons that are just so ingrained in you from either they showed you by example or they taught it to you? Yeah. Um, so a couple of things, I'll just go in, in order, you know, growing up uh, family members, you know, my parents and other members of family, it's, uh, oh, what's going on here? Sorry. So for them, they just, I think had a dedication to their work and a discipline and they were just good at what they did. You know, so that meant a lot and observing that. And I think part of it too, with starting your own business, you, you definitely find something that reaches your goals, right? Whether it's making money, whether it's bringing you happiness, whether it's a combination of the two, whatever that is, and then you grind away at it. And I guess if you know that it's a proven concept, somebody else has done it before, you just have to assume that it's going to work out. If you put in the hours, you got to assume it's going to work out. And so seeing them do that 
you know, that was a big driver. Um, getting into college, I had a, my entrepreneurship professor, uh, Dick Sloan. Um, he was just super laid back guy. I'm, I can't remember what I learned in that class. You know, he basically just kind of came up every day and he's like, so what are we, what are we talking about today? What are we talking but, about today, folks? Yeah, that's pretty much it. He was just <laughs> a chill dude and he sat on the table and, you know, he just had a cool presence about him, but he had a really good, a couple, you know, one-liners I can think of, but for him, it was at the end of the day, people don't want to do business with people that suck. You know, if you suck as a person, then it's not going to be fun to be around you as an individual. So that was super simple, but hit at the core. Um, another one was in firefighting, you know, I had some great crew bosses, engine captains who were just very dedicated to the people that they work with. And then also to the work that they do, you know, I mean, in firefighting, some of the hardest working people I've ever had the opportunity to work alongside. Um, and it's an, it's an extremely competitive job and it's a total, you know, ladder game too, but they care a lot about their work and their industry. Uh, when I was on a fire though, there was this, I had a captain named he's captain white, Nick white, which I just learned a lot from him, which was great. But then I was on a fire and I was doing this job on the fire. I was a rookie. It was a really crappy position. You know, basically it's, I can go into detail, but I'll, uh, you know, it's, it's essentially it's Paul Myar. So I was going around looking for hot spots with this like old video camera looking thing. <laughs> and half the time we had to BS it because by like 10 o'clock, the ground was so hot anyways, you couldn't find any hot spots. So I'm spending like eight hours a day walking around in 90 plus degree <laughs> temperatures surrounded by ash. And, and I got picked up. I got a ride back from this other guy and his name was, you know, he was also captain and his, he was a uh, Mr. Black. Black was his last name. And you remember I got out of the truck and the last thing he says is like, remember Volstead, don't get good at a crappy job. And he was obviously referencing what I was doing, but that was also something silly, but it also stuck with me too. Right. You don't want to, if you go through and have a crappy job, you're not going to be happy. And, and so that really, really stuck out in, in real estate, you know, it's the simple things too. As I mentioned, the mentor before, he just said, Hey, you do more real estate related activities, you're most likely going to get success from that. And so with each of my mentor, and, you know, I think people put a lot of weight on a mentor, like, oh man, how do I go get this multi-million dollar successful guy to teach me the business? And they think of that as a mentor, like that's not necessarily a mentor. I think a mentor is someone who has a good impact on you and then you can just learn life lessons from it. It doesn't always have to be business. And so, and, and, you know, with those mentors though, just simple things that really stuck with me and, and observing them too, they all worked hard. They had discipline and, and they just kind of worked towards whatever their goal was. And, uh, um, and they were willing to grind it out in like, not in a negative way, but you know, when things suck, they would just keep working past that. Um, so those have been really good ones to watch and observe. One thing I, I like, it was earlier in, in your response, it was emotional intelligence and uh, good old Dick Sloan was talking about like, you, you don't want to do business with people that suck or like they suck as a person. And I think that like hits in my head as like somebody with emotional intelligence, how, how you interact, how you talk to people, like all those, those little it factors from being aware and understanding how to deal with people 
can propel you so far. And you've seen people with no tact, right? They mm-hmm. just are super blunt or they, they, they come into the room and they're yelling like, why the, why the hell are you talking so loud? Yeah. Like yeah. we're just chilling, sitting on the couch, but like the person with low emotional intelligence comes just storming in what's up, you know, just like slapping fives and all of that, where it would have been more appropriate if you had some, some emotional intelligence to say, Hey, what's up, everybody. How are you doing? What, what, what's going on? So um, I love that. Anybody out there that uh, is hearing that emotional intelligence and just the little things of, of being a great person first creates a long-term successful person, anything that I do, I'm the same person. So if it's in the lacrosse space, if I'm coaching, if I'm teaching, if I'm in a real estate deal, like it does, I'm the same person with the same values, with the same follow-up, with the same care, the same consideration, the same overarching view of the world. And so who you are as a person, and if you can build yourself into being such a well-rounded person first, you can take that on your entrepreneurial journey, wherever you go, whether it's real estate or speaking on stages or making the most badass burrito out of a taco truck. It just doesn't, it doesn't matter, but it comes back to emotional intelligence. And then it comes back even further to being a great person and doing what you say you're going to do. And those traits breed success. I, I, Everybody that I talk to, you know, the the people on the podcast, I'm like, oh, this is a pretty big name. Like this, this person coming in is a pretty big name. Uh, Hopefully they're not just going to blow it off. No, that person shows up five minutes early. That person answers the email right away. That person wants to help stays afterwards and those types of things. So all of those mesh together really creates whether you're an entrepreneur or not, it it creates a person that you're proud of and that you can take along your journey. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. And and off of that, that point too, Kyle, is that, you know, the, you mentioned the emotional intelligence. It's, I I can't remember who I heard it from, but it it was, I think kind of, I was fortunate to have the training while I was doing firefighting. And that is in real estate, it's, it's my goal to basically be the least emotional person in the room. You know, when we're doing these transactions, especially residential real estate, it is constantly emotional, right? You're buying your dream home. You're selling your home that you grew up in. You've got to move and relocate somewhere else. That's all like super stressful stuff. And, and so for me, like I want to be the people pleaser. So I definitely empathize with them in that situation. But at the same time, it's my goal to be the voice of reason, right? I'm there to help them analyze this process. And, and quite a few times, unfortunately, you, you, you deal with other, sometimes other realtors who are just so invested and don't know how to register that emotion. And it makes for a complication that sometimes then wears onto their clients too. And if I could be the, the cool, chill guy, my clients are way more likely to relax and have an understanding of what's going on. And like I mentioned too, fortunately, that was just, I think part of that was instilled over time. I practiced for firefighting because we'd be in situations where we had to remove emotion and analyze the situation and put a plan into action. Yeah, absolutely. If you can come into all situations as prepared as possible, as calm as possible, 
a lot of times that's all it really takes and really needs to, to have your clients believe in you. Even if shit's hitting the fan and you exude confidence and calm and, and you think of solutions instead of mm-hmm. dwelling on the problem. And if you just keep on rolling, that energy hopefully goes into your clients and can calm them the heck down because I know it's crazy selling a house and trying to move into a new house. I have two dogs. When we switched houses, like it was a mess. And then I'm staying at my parents' house and I've got a U-Haul on the side of the house and like everything's going on. And that's a smooth transaction. Like I didn't mm-hmm. have anything crazy. And so I completely understand, um, you know, where you're at and the different things you go through. Dustin, as you know, we could probably sit around, stand around and chat for hours and hours on end. Um, your knowledge in the real estate industry and as an entrepreneur in general is so freaking awesome. And you've given so much value to everybody listening today. I wanted to thank you for that. And where can everybody find you on social media? Yeah. I mean, just my name, I I try to keep it as simple as possible. So whether it's Facebook, Instagram, uh, LinkedIn, I would say in terms of where I'm more active is probably going to be Facebook and Instagram. And then my email is just Dustin at DustinVolstead.com. If anybody has questions about the industry or real estate investing, I know we didn't really dive into the investing side, but, uh, but those are probably the outlets that um, I would say most active on. So uh, yeah. Nice. The last question I have for you, and it usually stumps people if they haven't heard it before, what makes you against all average? What makes me against all average? Um, I think a couple things. One is I try to, uh, I try to get creative, right? So if I'm, I'm in real estate and we're having a hard time right now in this market for buyers or, um, you know, let me backtrack. Actually, something I, I went through is that when COVID first kicked off, that was an experience in real estate where everybody kind of paused and took a break. And I realized in these moments of panics throughout history, when you have issues like that take place, the bigger the issue, sometimes the bigger the opportunity. And you just have to figure out where it is. And so as soon as COVID started happening on the real estate side, I just knew that there was going to be an opportunity. There was the Great Recession. There was during the Great Depression. And so, you know, I really just took the time to think, okay, what's it going to be? It was in mortgage interest rates. So, you know, I had buyers who said, hey, Dustin, I think we're thinking about taking a pause here. And I said, guys, these interest rates are historically low. Buyers right now are taking a break. Realtors are taking a break because they think it's okay to do like, this is when we need to be diving in because I also follow real estate investing. And I do that very heavily. I knew that there's a lack of inventory in the market. And I knew that it was only a matter of time before buyers came back and buyers start taking advantage of these rates. So we were able to jump in a couple of clients and get really good deals on houses right before it blew up. So that's something on real estate that I'm always looking for is that I guess kind of above all average in a sense is look to do what others aren't, but more so just look to see where the opportunities are at all times. And, and then, you know, the other one I can think of, it's just a willingness of who can suffer more sometimes and, and who can, you know, they call it, who can embrace the suck. And so, 
So true. In real, yeah, in real estate and business, I'm sure yeah, you know, you have experience is that there are going to be a lot of days where it's not fun to do what you're doing. And I think business people are successful because they're just willing to do it more and they're willing to do it longer. And you look at these businesses, businesses that really blew up in size, a lot, there's a lot of businesses out there that gave up right before they took off. You know, I think they call it like the trough of sorrow is the name for it. <laughs> yeah. And a lot of businesses and people will give up on an idea at that point. And it's just a matter of grinding through it. And if you keep grinding through and grinding through and there's really no upside, then you need to stop and you need to go do something else. Uh, but I think that that and having just an overall discipline, I wake up pretty much the same time every day. I start work at the exact same time every single day. Having that consistency has been incredibly helpful for me. Awesome, Dustin. Absolutely awesome. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Hey, in order to grow the Against All Average podcast, we need your help. Please subscribe to our podcast on your favorite platform and tell a friend about every episode you find value in and share the episode on your favorite social media platform. If you like the episode, please rate the episode and leave us a badass review. You can find us at Against All Average on all your favorite social media platforms and at www.againstalleverage.com. Another big shout out to this episode sponsor, Fair and Event. And with that, we thank you for listening to the Against All Average podcast with Dustin Volstead talking about discipline, managing expectations, putting your money back into your business, and how to be a consistent businessman day in and day out. We'll see you next time.